Welcome everyone to another episode of Movies After Midnight. Uh, we are we are kicking off, uh, not kicking off, because I recorded in the past another episode that I'm definitely not going to record on my own after this. It's definitely already recorded. Um, uh, we are picking up part two of uh, Mummy March Madness, uh, and where we are talking uh, today, I uh, I have Nick back with me. Uh, how's it going? It's going. Uh, and we're for the Renaissance. Yeah, we are talking about the the immortal uh, 1999 classic film. Uh, the Mummy, uh, directed by Stephen Summers, starring Brendan Fraser and Rachel Wise, um, among with among some some other other talented people, um, and yeah, um, I I guess I should preface this like it's it's hard to be biased like if I think I've talked about this on stream but but like literally when I was like like transitioning like and choosing a new name for myself. Literally, the reason I picked Evelyn as a name is because I was inspired by this movie. So, like, that should tell you how, how like, <laughs> completely not attached and unbiased I am when it, when it comes to uh, the 1999 Mummy. Um, this movie was a definitely big part of my childhood, both of our, both of our childhoods. We watched this yeah. movie a whole bunch. It's some <clears> of the... Some of the earliest stuff that I even remember ever watching was this. Yeah, well, I think it, part of it, I think, is because it's uh, one of the first movies we ever had on DVD. And because of that, we, we watched a lot of the special features, and it was, like, one of the first movies I remember seeing and thinking about in terms of, like, the art of filmmaking. Like, that this was a thing people did, and there was all this craft involved with it. So, like, I... I definitely feel like it was at least part of like my inspiration for for like wanting to get into filmmaking. Good place to start. Um so yeah, um uh, a little bit of history. Um so so this is a Universal wanted to do a remake of the 1932 Mummy. And uh they actually went through uh some interesting directors before uh before sort of arriving, uh, arriving at Stephen Summers and his his vision for the film, uh, they had at some point. <clears throat> it seems like a like they had this idea that they wanted a horror film, but didn't understand what they wanted, because um, they they went to Clive Barker, and he had this pitch for a mummy film, and Universal was like, "It's too dark and it's too violent. We don't want that." And he and he was like, "Okay, never mind then." Um, and they went to Romero. Yeah, was George one. George Romero was one who kind of had the same thing. Wes Craven. They offered it to him, and he passed on it. Mm -hmm. And it's he it's busy with Scream at the time. Yeah, uh, I should I should really watch Scream at some point. It's 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 like an important then, movie. I, I can't guess. remember his name, but the guy who did Gremlins and the Burbs. Uh, he him yeah, as Joe well. Joe Dante. Dante. Which I could see, because, like, especially with Gremlins, like, he has this precedent of being able to, like, do a horror-type story, but make it fun and family-friendly, which I think is what they... I think that's what they wanted, because, we like, there's this pattern of them going... They're being like, we want a horror movie, so we're gonna go to these horror directors, and then the horror director's like, here's a really dark horror movie, and they're like, that's not what we want, though. Um... 
So eventually, one of the reasons yeah. that they uh, that they didn't go with Dante was Joe, one of Joe Dante's things. He really wanted um, Daniel Day Lewis to star in it, which would have put them uh, over budget. Mm. They couldn't afford him. Oh, yeah, also, uh, Leo, right? You were uh... yeah. Uh, supposedly, supposedly DiCaprio and McConaughey were some of the people that were being eyed, and DiCaprio actually really wanted to uh, to do this movie so much that I can't remember the name of the film it was some movie I'd never heard of but he was working on another film at the time and he tried to get them to like delay filming just a little bit so that he could do both movies but yeah he, they didn't he really it. wanted to be part of this we almost had DiCaprio as Rick O'Connell that would have been weird that would have been interesting I wonder how it would have changed like the trajectory of both their careers because I feel like this is a very iconic movie for Brendan Fraser yeah we like, would not have the renaissance were it not for this. I mean, he, he definitely, like, he had some stuff under his belt, but this is the one that that was kind of the rallying point, I feel like. It's probably the thing that the most people saw him in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, we, uh, we ended up, it, it ended up in the hands of Stephen Summers, who at the time, I think he had directed, like, one or two things. He was primarily a writer, um... Who he'd uh, he'd done the scripts for Huck Finn and uh, the Jungle Book? I know. Mm -hmm. He also did. I can't remember the name of that movie, but he did some action movie with like uh, Patrick Stewart and some other people. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can't remember. It had the same name as another movie, and I was like, oh, he did that. Oh, never mind. Um, but yeah. Um, and uh, talking about, I I remember. Uh, we talked a little Gun bit. Men. Gunmen was the movie. Oh, okay. And it was a Christoph Lambert, Mario Van Peebles, and Patrick Stewart. I always forget about Mario like Van only, Peebles. It was like the only even remotely action movie <clears throat> that uh, that Summers had done before. Then he just did like Hot Fan and stuff. It'd be it'd be interesting to watch that and see if there was like a specific thing that like because usually there's always that like one thing where they're like okay they did this. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, uh, he ended up with it, uh, watching the behind-the-scenes, um, and we talked about this during our Van Helsing review, because Van Helsing was a film that definitely, Van Helsing would not have been made if it weren't for the success of the, the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies, for sure. Um, and, uh, in the Mummy behind-the-scenes, Stephen Summers was talking about having grown up watching these universal horror movies and, like, having a real... That might have been part of it, too. It seemed like he was someone who was really into them. But he also, like, the line I always remember is he's like, the the mummy was the only only one that actually scared the crap out of me. And, like, he really wanted to make the mummy this, this like, intense monster. <clears throat> um... And, uh, actually, I watch, I rewatched some of this, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff last night, and the thing they kept talking about was, like, we don't want him to just be a guy in bandages, so they, they, like, really leaned into, like, the CG and the, the, so the monster So much so that elements. by the end of the movie, Arnold Vosloo is practically naked. Yeah. Ten out of ten <laughs> would recommend. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want him in bandages, so we'll have him in nothing. Mm -hmm. Um. But, like, he just, over the course of the movie, he's, like... Wearing less, except for at the start when he's literally a naked mummy. Yeah. But like he's wearing less and less, and getting way more cocky and confident in his demeanor. Yeah. The entire time. Every time you see him, he's just got more chat energy. Yeah. Well, every yeah. Single time. That's he. He he does have like the smuggest energy I think I've ever seen. 
If there's one thing that Summers is good at, a very smug he's just, villain. He's, he's just, every time you come back to him, he's like... and Emotep are some of the best villains for that, being very, very smooth, very cocky, very cool. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, and honestly, I think characters are really are, are really kind of the strength of this movie, um, more so than anything else. Because it is like it does it takes, I think as much from like Indiana Jones as as it does from the Mummy, the original Mummy, um, <clears throat> and and it does like it incorporates a lot of that adventure movie DNA. But all, pretty much every character you meet is a memorable one, even if they're kind of like the the big characters. Um, kind of kind of walking through the plot like we start uh um there is com uh having watched the original movie like they definitely still play fast and loose with with like egyptian history and mythology but there is like at least there's a little more of an attempt i feel like in this one to at least line up like like seti the first is an actual pharaoh that existed mm -hmm. uh, and they lined up the uh the history in terms of when Seti the first was, and um, also, lining it up with that remark that he makes later. Yeah. Um, also, they they kind of changed some things because in in the original film, uh, really Oxno, they they spell it like they spell it differently in the new movie compared to the old movie. Like if you look at what her name is credited as. Uh, so I, I stumble, but Anxunamun, uh, the, the princess that he's in, not really princess, I think, I think, I think she was the daughter, wasn't she? No, that, um, she was his, his, like, consort. <laughs> she was an important chick. Uh, because Nefertiti is his daughter, and we get to her in the second movie. Um, uh... But yeah, uh, in the original film, she was pretty much just a lady that, like, died, and, and, like, Imhotep's crime was really just trying to bring someone back from the dead. And in the original draft of this script, I have, uh, the, the Mummy Ultimate Edition DVD, and in the DVD-ROM features, uh, there's, you can find an original, the first draft of the script for this film, and, like, some of the things... There's a lot of stuff that changed in in the course of making this film, and it's it's interesting because, basically, in both that and the original film, she was just kind of a hapless victim of of like Imhotep's fixation on her, and in the final film, they make her a lot more complicit, where she, she is part of the murder of the pharaoh, and like so that's that's like this crime that they both share, and I th I think it makes her like a lot more compelling especially like uh uh played by uh, patricia velasquez like considering how little she's in this movie like she she makes a solid impact in the like couple minutes that she, like onk cinnamon as a character actually shows up because her character in in a way is sort of like sort of like uh, emotep's personal MacGuffin. before that She's way more memorable than just a convenient plot device should be. Yeah. Well, also, they actually made her yeah. feel like a proper character as to where she easily just could have been some random little side bit, but she's pretty important to the motives of the prime villain, and they make her feel important. Yeah. Um. 
Um, yeah, so so we have this kind of introductory sequence where we get uh, Imhotep doing all this, and like he's basically he's cursed to suffer this this like horrible like thing where like any like any protection he would have had going into the afterlife is like taken away, and he's like cursed and somehow the of course the caveat of this curse is like if he were ever raised from the dead then he would have like him like all the immortality and all these great powers which we some uh, kind of logical thing because he's <clears throat> because he's severed from the finality of the afterlife that means should he ever be brought back because of that he's now no longer tethered to the laws of regular yeah. mortality like everyone else it's kind of the trade-off so of course hey, we're going to take this really bad, evil dude that we don't like, we're going to kill him, but no one resurrect him, then he'd be even worse. Yeah, well, it's I, feel, I always felt like it was one of those things where they're like, well, obviously, we wrote very clearly not to resurrect him. Obviously, no one's going to be that stupid, right? They can read hieroglyphs. <laughs> uh, but then we, uh, and he is buried in, in this... Uh, uh, this, this, like, city of the dead. The city of the dead. Uh, and it, um, this narration by, uh, by Oded Fair, who, uh, another solid actor in this movie. Um, actually playing a Middle Eastern guy for once, and not yeah. playing another Latin dude. They had the Israeli actor playing an Egyptian. Not great, but at least they're bordering nations. They're getting... At least he's not playing an Argentinian Yeah. Again. They're getting closer. At least, yeah, like, especially compared to, like, the original movie, there's there's a lot fewer, like, white people playing Egyptians, so, like, even though they're not Egyptians playing Egyptians, uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, you said, it's not it's not it's great, not, it's but not it's... It's not great, but it's... It shows when the bar, step in the right When the bar is set so low, you know, you can... Um, yeah. At least they got, a, like, a South African dude and a, um, uh, Israeli dude, so, like... They're on the right continent. <laughs> yeah, it's more They've or less. That far. Um, yeah. Um, so we uh, were introduced to uh, to Brandon Fraser's Rick O'Connell, and the the, the ever charming Benny Gabor. I, yeah, I don't I don't know how you would describe him in terms of character devices, but he's he, Greece. He he's Greece he's ba yeah he's basically the the film's token sniveling punk, um, and they are both serving time in the French Foreign Legion and, like, fighting this battle where everyone, basically everyone gets wiped out and Rick is the only survivor. Rick and Benny escape. Yeah. But Benny we, closes the door on him. Yeah, we don't realize that Benny is a survivor is. until... Um, and, uh, and then we, we cut, cut ahead, we're introduced to, uh, uh, Ev Evelyn Carnahan. I don't think we actually get her last name in the movie. I I, on so. I only know that because of the like credits, uh, and her brother Jonathan, who uh, pick um, pickpocketed some stuff off of Rick and was like, "Hey, I think I found something." And they 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 basically seek. Um, I mean, we're we're skipping a lot of a lot of stuff. You know, yeah. this is just the crash course. But yeah, they they seek him out and they're like, "Hey, you can lead us to Hamanoptera." If um and they like are able to like get him out of jail and go on this this adventure, um, which of course as it happens at the same time, um, they meet uh, a band of cowboys from the from the U.S. who uh, also have someone who uh, has been to Hominoptera, which um, 
turns out to be the one other person that that survived that that same battle um and actually that's another thing in in terms of like uh I, there's a deleted scene where you literally like that shot where uh, there's a shot where it like cuts from them getting rick out of jail to uh him uh to them like looking for him as they're getting on the boat and there's a shot before that where we see the boat and we see the cowboys and benny like looking out over the dock so like you get that reveal earlier and they cut that scene out so that you don't actually see benny until later on the dock when rick uh manhandles him from the shadows and it's like it's paced much better but it was it's always interesting to see what what was there and then got cut out um yeah and uh, uh that group comes uh both of those groups end up meeting on the ship where uh eventually a group of these uh strange black clad individuals uh end yeah. up attacking them <laughs> Yeah, um, and I uh, we were talking about the the the, uh, <clears throat> the the they're kind of referred to collectively as the Americans, um, which I mean they even they even play with that. Like there's a scene where they're like, yeah, you know, if we can get there before those damn Yanks, and then they look at at uh, Rick and they're like, you know, no offense, and he's like, yeah, no taken. Um, but the the Americans, I I really like them as characters because they're all like they're all kind of dicks, but they're you don't you don't hate them by the like by the end of things either they're yeah they're not bad guys they're they're like, enjoyable characters when bad stuff happens to them. yeah um and we also get um again yeah there's just there's so many good like character moments i think in this film one bit i was going to mention um that kind of came up on this boat scene a little bit before they have like this big gun battle oh, yeah. stuff on that scene yeah. is uh the consistency of the firearms shown in this movie is actually a lot better than what i've seen in other films um, yeah we were we were breaking it down beginning like they're pretty decent on choosing period accurate um weapons to depict there but in the first scene well not the first scene but the scene towards the beginning where Rick and Benny are in the French Foreign Legion in this uh, in this battle, all the guns in that scene are like pretty accurate for the time. But all the guns that the French Foreign Legion dudes are carrying are like actual—they went out of their way to choose like actual French firearms and not just use yeah. the same guns that they're using for everyone else. They actually gave them specifically French ones, and the way that. And I won't get like super firearms nerd on this, uh, just for the sake of time. But the way that the French Foreign Legion troops are firing their rifles is like accurate, because technically the rifle they're using is like magazine fed. But because it was complicated, it was easier to like load individually in a hot set situation like that. Yeah, like, that's what all those guys are. They're single shot loading, single shot. Uh, as to where anyone who didn't do their history research would probably just say oh yeah they have these magazine fed rifles and just have them shoot like normal or if they wanted them specifically to fire one shot they would have given them a different gun but they like it shows that they actually did their research on that yeah and then later on on this scene on the boat uh 
Rick and Evelyn are having a conversation while he's like unrolled his arsenal of weapons and dynamite and knives and guns and he's cleaning stuff and checking stuff out and yeah. the guns are completely consistent like yeah he uses he every, like there are the same ones he had at the start all the weapons in there are all the guns that he uses throughout the movie there's nothing in there that's his personal gun that's not shown briefly just in that role like yeah. they took the time there to is... make all those props line up you were saying there was like a rifle that gets cut out isn't there uh, in the second movie, there's ammo for a rifle shown, but no rifle. But, yeah, that's the second movie. In this one, completely accurate. Uh, even the knives and stuff he uses, he has a regular knife, and then he also has, like, his balisong, and he uses that later. Gotta, gotta have, it was the 90s, you gotta have a balisong. Mm-hmm. But it, I was just so impressed with how consistent they were with that, because... Yeah. Oftentimes when I'm watching any kind of action movie at all, I'm perusing the Internet Movie Firearms database to try and identify stuff. And uh, it's funny because you'll notice these inconsistencies throughout movies a lot of times where someone's using this type of gun and then in the next scene they're using like a different variety and it's, it's little inconsistencies. This movie doesn't have many of those. None that can't logically be explained at all. Like, this movie yeah. took the accuracy and specifically the continuity of the guns really seriously. Yeah, there's really good continuity. That I appreciate. Um, yeah, talking about continuity, um, there, there are some moments where, uh, I guess, I guess talking about Imhotep too, like, in terms of, like, um, the, I want to say there were some costuming moments too where, like, things made sense from, from, like, point to point where, like, he loses something or he gains something, but it always it always kind of makes sense in terms of where he's at. But um, yeah, so like the first yeah the first chunk of this movie is very like Indiana Jones adventure movie where they're like trying to get to the tomb and they're like you know they're fighting these these guys who who want to take the key from them. You get there there's honestly there's so many memorable lines like I'm I'm part of a like Facebook meme group based on based on this um uh mummy memes and and like there there are so many like lines from this movie that are like i think anyone who's watched it remembers them and like because of that they're such prime meme fodder um of course the probably the most remembered of those being the the exchange that happens right after they leave the boat um where where the uh Vinny's like, hey, we have all the horses, and, and Rick's like, yeah, you're on the wrong side like, of the you're river. You're on the wrong side of the river. <laughs> and yeah, I'm. Brendan Fraser's <clears throat> the best in this at like the reactions and responses. Yeah, they're on. Like, his best deliveries are just like the simple responses to other people's yeah. stuff. Or or so not even the energy. Yeah, sometimes not even the responses. Like there are a few scenes where it's just you cut back to him like making a face. And like That's he sold the, the absolute crap out of it, like yeah. cutting a cutting a head. Actually, there's a scene when like the the mummy stuff really starts hitting the fan. He he has this look on his face that like you you just see so many gears turning in this character's head, where he's like, "Oh shoot, I knew stuff would be bad, but this is really screwed up." Jeez, uh, like it it was just a really good like cutaway shot that I had never noticed before. Would DiCaprio have done that? DiCaprio's good, but I don't think so. <laughs> um, yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis? Um, 
Elvis have yeah, and of course, screamed um, back in the face of the mummy, making the same woe sounds over and over? Yeah, and we did, no, we did kind of, yeah, we did kind of skip, uh, skip over, um, uh, Rachel Wise as Evie and, uh, John, was it John Hanna as Jonathan? John Hanna Jonathan. Um, like, both, both of them are also, like, they have really good, like, like, sibling chemistry, I feel like. Where she, where she was, she's kind of the more responsible scholarly one, and he's kind of all over the place. I actually, uh, I watch, or I've read, uh, someone breaking down that, like, when you think about the time this film took place in, the odds that Jonathan probably fought in World War One are pretty good. And, like, when you see some aspects of his character, like, him, him drinking all the time, or him, like, because he's he's a goofball but he's never a coward like he like when when stuff hits the fan he's he's like there with a gun alongside everyone else shoots back at people he's never like he's never any more scared than anyone yeah and like the world war one angle kind of it's there are like parts of his character that are kind of funny but like thinking about the context it casts this light on them where like there, there's really a part. Yeah, you're like, oh, gee, he's yeah, he's an alcoholic because he literally fought in one of the worst wars in human history. That yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of World War One undertones yeah. in the movie. Yeah, because yeah. Um, but like, like both, which again I think points to someone was doing their their research really well, and they built up things that they didn't necessarily need to build up. So those like, those little the extra mile on little things like that can really help yeah, really I'm, help give some give there's like that X factor that sometimes a really good movie has or a cult classic or something has that other movies just don't have even though they might have the same budget the same talent acting even good scripts and stuff like that but there's like there's this little extra mile that you can go on certain things that might not even be perceptible right away, but it's all, like, part of that recipe of doing doing a little bit extra each time. Yeah. Like, whenever you dive into it, movies like this, you can tell they, they didn't cut corners. They weren't being sloppy or lazy with it. People were doing their research. While there may be inaccuracies here and there, yada yada, you know, nothing's perfect, but they, they tried. They, they yeah. put a lot of effort in, and it shows. Yeah, um... Also talking about uh, the character of Evelyn, um, <clears throat> I think like she's she's actually not quite as active. Like uh, again, watching the original film, they they sort of split her character up because um, in the original film there was the uh, this lady character named Helen, who was who she was actually Imhotep's uh, lost love, like reincarnated, and in this film they do, they don't do that. So they sort of split split her character up into into Evelyn and Anxinoma, um, but like uh, so like she's not quite as. I was surprised how active a character Helen was in the original film, where like she's being hypnotized by Imhotep for a lot of it, but like her attitude and responses to things are a lot more than just "Oh gee, I'm scared." Um, um, and so like. Like, as far as Evelyn's role in the story, like, she's not the the main action character, but she is, like, she she is, like, kind of the driving force behind a lot of what's going on. 
and like I I think she she toes a good line where she's like she's a, a fairly active character but she doesn't necessarily they they didn't need to make her like an action heroine because that's not who her character is like at the end of the day she is a scholar and like she she contributes like from from like the start of the film to like figuring out kind of the curses and everything like it's her as a scholar that kind of like always like gets that gets them the one up over the the americans or that gets uh and eventually gives them that edge gives them the edge over impotep yeah. yeah um yeah which actually yeah and they even like they have that 90s kind of like inverted girl power moment where like the the leader of the american expedition is like oh they're they're led by a woman what could a woman know and then cut to them finding this place that like everyone else is overlooked because because she's like studied all this stuff and knows all this stuff but yeah like i i, I mean again like obviously i took my name from from her character so like i, I you know i may be a little biased <clears throat> Um, yeah. So, so yeah, moving ahead, like, we actually, we get to Hamanoptera, um, and that's, that's, that's when the scary parts kind of kick in. Uh, we get, uh, man-eating scarabs, which I, as a kid, I kind of thought man-eating scarabs were going to be a much, a much, like, more frequent concern in life than they turned out to be. It's like, uh, it's like quicksand, which yeah. was in this movie. Yeah. Like, you, you learn about it, and you're like, you think it's going to be a more common thing. Like, you're just going to be walking down the sidewalk, and there's quicksand. It's like, oh, yeah, I've got to be careful when I'm walking along and going to school. There might be a bunch of scarab, gold scarabs that burrow into my skin. Yeah, you don't want that. Well, that's how imprinting it was, because even though the CGI, and that's like a little side note that we could do, is uh, yeah. even though the CGI, especially on the scarabs, may not have aged to the best, doesn't look super real the way that they utilized the cg throughout this movie except for like a few yeah. instances with the mummy himself like usually it works pretty well even though it's dated and doesn't yeah. necessarily hold up super well they've used it tactfully and it's mostly subdued or kind of subtle CG yeah it's stuff. not yeah it's not over it's not the overdone total focus of the scene so that way it's like Okay, maybe the CG doesn't look super real, but artistically, it still yeah. works. Well, so that's it yeah. stuff just fine. Actually, like the first shot of the movie, we were talking about that, where it does this big sweeping shot of like a, a sphinx and they're like Thebes, whatever, and we're like, and we were like, this is clearly a lot of it is CG because there's no way they would do that like as a set, but like it still looks really good and holds up really well. And that's one of the cool things though about this movie is that kind of entry shot of, like, Egypt and when they have, like, the Sphinx and all of that is one of the only times that they CG'd anything uh, in terms of, like, the landscape or the set. Um, they did a lot of set building, a lot of really good oh, yeah. set building on this movie. Like, the, um, I think it was in Morocco where they filmed most of it. And that sounds... Because they couldn't film in actual Egypt because of, like, weird government stuff, and mm -hmm. even Morocco was a little sketchy at the time. Um, it was like, I remember, uh, Summers took out, like, kidnapping insurance on the actors. Oh. Um, just because it was a little sketch around then. Um, but the set of Hamanatra was actually, like, all of it physically constructed in a, uh, 
dormant volcano to give it kind of the dark, creepy look. Oh, dang. Um, like, that's the actually actual film location that, that they cool. built the set in. So, like, they, they went hard on the sets, and I feel like yeah. that needs to be appreciated. Yeah, yeah, and, like, yeah, they definitely nail, like, the atmosphere, which, again, I think is, is really, like, it's really cool how it turns from this, like two-fisted adventure movie into this scary thing where like all of a sudden there's this mummy that that is is awoken and like uh oh like you know no mortal weapon can kill this creature um like that all all of a sudden like all the rules that we've established until now are like okay yeah that's out the window he's, he's just gonna start killing people now um yeah, um, and that's that's when we get introduced to uh, to Ardith Bay and the Magi, as we talked about before. Um, Oded Fair. He again, he's a character who, he, when I think of this movie, I feel like he's in a lot more of it than he actually is. It's just because of how and impactful his scenes are. Yeah, like he does a really good job with a ver with a relatively smaller role. Which, we'll get to it, but that's the thing I like about the second movie, is I feel like he's in the second movie just a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. And especially as a friend. Because at first, in this movie, there's some conflict of interest, and he's trying to stop <laughs> yeah. them. But once he's... the mummy's awoken, then he kind of has to help them fight. He's the, the he is the Knuckles to Rick's Sonic. And like Knuckles, he does not chuckle. He'd rather flex his muscles. Which Ardeth must have a lot of, because during one oh, part, yeah. he rips a Lewis gun off of a plane and just, like, hip-fires it like it's nothing. Homeboy the must be yoked. Beast. Yeah. Absolute unit. <laughs> yeah, so where are we? Um. So, yeah, we get basically the... Yeah, the Americans open this chest, and that's another thing they took directly from the 1932 movie, was it's this chest containing this book of the dead with these these incantations to resurrect the dead um and because though evelyn must not read from the book yeah she does yeah but uh because they open the chest it's like whoever opens the chest has to die so they're like kind of marked that the uh the resurrected mummy will hunt them um and uh and so he starts kind of making his way through each of them and that's where we get back to like the Americans were dicks, but they're they're good enough guys that you do feel bad when you when you see him take out each one. Especially uh, the first guy, Mister Burns. He's like this kind of he's he's like kind of the meeker, glasses wearing guy of the group, and like you feel really like he probably gets it the worst because he doesn't just die. He gets for for some reason, and they don't really explain why. Uh, Imhotep only takes his tongue and his eyes at first, and leaves the rest of him. Well, he got interrupted. Because he was in the process of harvesting him when uh, Evelyn came across him. Yeah, maybe. Like, the way, yeah, the way it's it framed later, is weird. It was said later, yeah. I want to say Benny and stuff was alluding to that. Well, the, uh, He was interrupted, that's why he came back to him. Well, the, the Magi, uh, Ardeth says something like, we stopped yeah, him. Yeah, it's like we saved him but, yeah. from getting more done. Um, but yeah, so he, like, loses his eyes and his tongue and his friends have to, like, lead him around... And then, uh, Benny leads Imhotep to him to, like, finish the job, and you just feel so sorry for this poor guy. Yeah. Which, not to pass over the scene where Benny first encounters the mummy, is a really good scene. Oh, yeah. Because 
Again, it's uh, it's char it's really good character moment. Because we've established already that Benny is this kind of really sleazy opportunist. Yeah. And uh, I want to say in like the original was it the original draft yeah, of the script the, or whatever that talked about yeah. that he he, he had this had... dialogue with Rick at the start where he was talking about that he used to like rob altar boxes. Yeah. And well, stuff he and, would like, different religious. Yeah. Well, he would pose as an altar boy, and then like steal the yeah steal the offering box when when no one was looking so he had like he had this knowledge like just enough knowledge of pretty much every world religion to pass himself off as someone who could get close enough to the like to the money so whenever the mummy first encounters him he's approaching him and benny's like grabbing all these different like necklaces that he has on that are like different symbols of world religions he like you know grabs a cross and is like oh lord protect me and it doesn't work yeah. so then he grabs like the uh the, there's like a bunch of I think yeah, there's he grabs, a... like an islamic symbol says something the buddhist uh symbol says something in like chinese i want to say yeah uh, and then he comes to the star of david says something in hebrew which stops the mummy because he's like, ah, the language of the slaves. I might have use for you. Which, which is that? That it actually lines up pretty well. It, it lines because... up, but is that? Do you think that that could be considered problematic by some? Eh, well, I mean, anything could be considered problematic by someone who wants something to be problematic. But I mean, historically I mean, speaking, because yeah. that was is, this is Emotep who yeah. served under Seti the First, who historians, a lot of historians agree. That Seti the First was the uh, pharaoh at the start of the Exodus story, mm. so like the timeline lines up pretty well. Because yeah, that was yeah, it's now I think about it, that feels like you should watch Prince of Egypt first. Yeah, <laughs> they're like the same story. Because um, <laughs> that does feel like uh, I I talked about this with the original movie. There's a part where Imhotep hypnotizes a guy and presses him into service, and the like. The the reason he's able to hypnotize him is because he's he's the they they call him an is the term Nubian problematic? It feels problematic. I don't know. I mean, if it's someone who is from he's, he's the like, area of Nubia, he's like basically he's a black guy, and because he was an he's like descended from the Nubians, that's why Imhotep was able to to hypnotize him in the thirty two movie. Yeah. And so like like this is way less of an oof than that was. Yeah. At least this time it's not based on he has power over someone, it's just I saw him speaking the language yeah. of the people who were the slaves during my time, so... so honestly, honestly, I think that's... Stephen Summers definitely deserves credit for taking taking this story and making it something that, that like, wasn't, isn't nearly as, like... I'm 12 and... Well, it's that's not nearly as awkward to process, because especially when you get into, like, having having, like worked on some pulp adventure stories like you do get into some some difficult territory where you're like i want to like depict these globe hopping characters but i also don't want it to be like this story about like white characters just disrespecting a bunch of other cultures and so it is it's a difficult line to walk and i think steven summers did a pretty solid job of like turning th like working things into into something mm -hmm. with this movie and that's yeah but at that point, um, jumping back to that arrangement with Benny, is he chooses to allow allow Benny as uh, a mortal servant. Um, yeah. And so Benny dedicates himself sort of reluctantly because it's his only way of surviving. But he uh, serves 
Emotep now and helps him do all manner of evil stuff, including track down Mr. Burns yeah. and finish the job stealing his soul. Yeah, and then he, he kind of like, he's, he starts picking off the Americans one by one uh, and, and regenerating a little more each time. Yeah, he goes from a walking skeleton to a walking sort of skeleton with a little bit of flesh to a walking mostly flesh dude to a gorgeous South African. <laughs> the absolutely gorgeous face of uh, Arnold Bosloo. The absolutely Boslu. gorgeously baby smooth head of Arnold Bosloo, who they, aside from his eyebrows, I, I, I'm not sure why they wanted it to be completely hairless for the character. Yeah. But they, they made him completely hairless, completely smooth. So yeah. he was, Vosloo was having to be shaved completely, like, two times a day during filming. <laughs> that, that'll like, put you in a, leave. that'll put you in a monstrous mindset. <laughs> yep. But he uh, looked darn good, so it worked. He did. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, what were we even talking about? That, uh. He recruits Benny, slowly becomes more, uh, more powerful. Okay, Jack yeah. Scares him. Yeah, and, like, he gains, like, as he gains more power, he unleashes different plagues out of the ten plagues of Egypt, which we talked about. It's, it's weird that, like, the Egyptian gods would grant him power that's specifically based on, like, stuff the Hebrew god did. Like, I don't, like, that's, I mean, that's a, a way it makes a mythologically, sense, that's an odd, like, mixing of... In a way, it makes a degree of sense, though, because it's not like, again, armchair, armchairing here. Um, it's not like the gods granted him power because his power was because he was cursed and cut off from from the gods in the afterlife. Yeah. So, like, the fact that he now is tied to curses, therefore he is able to invoke the greatest curses ever made on Egypt. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good that's a good theory. I wonder who wonder who came up with that. <laughs> But I thought I was the one who said that. Um. But uh. But, but yeah. That's just like, a theory. Again, like uh, a mummy. Okay. <laughs> the music. He, he he does have a channel called Film Theory, doesn't he? I I know that channel exists. So I'm not sure if it's the same guy. Because he ha he has like a whole media. He just started Food Theory, where he goes specifically into like historical background of like fast food chains and items. But that's a that's a whole other. Um, I have to check that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and by just started, I mean like a year ago. I, my time perception is theory channel. Please sponsor. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, what were we even talking? Yeah, they yeah, definitely so play fast and loose. Yeah. Power, yeah. They they definitely play fast and loose with like if you're someone who like understands Egyptian mythology at all, like. Well, even, like, Imhotep was a real person who was actually, like, pretty cool, from what I remember. He was, like... I think that... he made, like, several breakthroughs yeah. in medicine. Well, he was, like, like he that. was, like, one of the greatest architects in the history of Egypt, I want to say. Like, he built a bunch of stuff and, like, was... Uh, mainly he contributed a lot and was actually a good guy and did not receive... The yeah, he was, like, a, yeah, he was, like, a really, really solid, cool guy and for some reason, like, <laughs> that's... This is this is how he's it, it, like. If we were living in the fate universe, he would be so unhappy. Um, he gets to be played by Arnold Bosley. What's to be unhappy? About? <laughs> um. But uh, so so yeah, they like he starts kind of gaining in power, and like the um they realize they'll have to stop him, or else he's he's gonna be you know powerful enough to rule the world. 
Uh, he starts mind controlling people in the city and all this. He yeah. has these horde of basically zombies. Yeah, and again, that's that's actually a good a good character moment for Evelyn because because Rick's like, okay, we're we're out of here. We're leaving, going back to wherever else. You know, <laughs> we woke up about me. Sorry, I'm out. And and Evelyn's the one who's like, no, we we need to stay behind and like do something about this. Um before before people start getting picked off and then they're like okay yeah no we definitely need to do something about this um and then all the water gets turned to blood and that's a good uh we get introduced to winston who's another good character who uh despite being part of i think technically despite the fact that he's alive he's still technically part of the lost generation or like whatever came before the greatest generation because like they're definitely the greatest generation is people who would have been born around like a little after this movie's happening. I think. I'm not sure. All I know is. Uh, but Winston taps into the Gen Z mindset. Oh yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> who who yeah, but yeah, Winston taps into the Gen Z mindset hard because he's he's another character when you get into like sad World War One. Uh, By the way, Winston stuff. is a uh, British Royal yeah, Air Force yeah, he's pilot. A older, yeah, he's a RAF pilot who's basically like just really bummed that all his friends died in the war and he didn't. Um, and he wants, kind of wants that chance to go out in the blaze of glory like his like his old comrades did. Yeah. And they afford him that chance by uh, offering him uh, the job to fly them over to where the mummy is. Yeah, and again, he is, like, he's another character who, like, he's in the movie for, like, a few minutes at a time, but, like, makes a solid impact. Um, yeah, and then and then a lot of the movie is kind of, again, them, you know, them slowly trying to, like, stop Imhotep from, from taking everyone's life force, which he does. Um, they discover he's, he uh, is afraid of cats, which, like, as a kid, that was always, like, that helped me feel secure at night. I was like, I'm scared of monsters, but we have a cat around, so I know I'm safe. It's like uh, sleepwalkers, but yeah. better. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how you could improve upon Stephen King's sleepwalkers. That was a King thing, right? Um, it was one of the few things he did that wasn't based off a book. It was just designed for TV. It was like that one and the Dreamcatcher were some of the only things that he did that weren't books. Huh. Um, Dreamcatcher was good. I'll have to do an episode on Dreamcatchers at some point. That would be a good episode. Um, but yeah, so so making our way through the film, like we do, yeah. Walking fast, facing fast. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and and then eventually Imhotep, like he he basically he decides uh, Evelyn is the one he's going to take and sacrifice so that he can bring Oxenamun back to life. Um, and they sort of they try they they kind of try to use her as bait and that doesn't work and like uh, she ends up getting taken. Uh, and we have that. <laughs> uh, so there's there's another really like classic exchange where he's like uh, Benny is translating for Imhotep where Imhotep's like and this is where like he the first scene where we get him like fully regenerated into Arnold Vosloo and he is just the smuggest most pimpinest MF like because he just he comes out bare chest but he's got this black robe that he used to be wrapped up in and now it's just like flowing open and he's just yeah. He's, it's like he, he's like a wrestler walk into the ring like the robe and everything yeah pretty much he comes out like he's dwayne the rock johnson 
foreshadowing. <laughs> um, yeah, and and he's like you know smugly delivering his ultimatum, and Benny's like, "You you can die or you can come with me and and live for forever." And she's like, "It's for all eternity, you idiot." And like, it's a good line, but like, translating languages doesn't work like that, Evelyn. Don't be mean. Those mean the same thing. The best part is like, Benny's Benny seems so offended. Like, yeah, here's he's the like, thing: is like, Rick throughout the movie like beats up Benny, and he gets scared of him when he beats him up and like roughs him up and stuff, and like makes threats. But like, when he makes threats, usually Benny gets all cocky. But anytime Evelyn says anything bad to him, he just looks so hurt. Yeah, well, because... Like, it carries more weight. Yeah, well, when, when someone beats him up, he's like, yeah, you have your muscles, but I'm the smart guy, I have that over you. And Evelyn doesn't even let him have that. She's like, I'm definitely smarter than you. Because, just... The, the face that this guy makes whenever whenever she says something to him, some great yeah. great visual action. She does, yeah, she does, yeah, again, like, really great reaction. Um... Just, uh, what's his name? So Kevin, ex- Kevin, Kevin J. O'Connor, who play, yeah. yeah, who plays Benny is like he's a he's an actor that does not get enough credit because like he he really like again again like like he he sells everything so well like from from Benny being kind of a sleazy character to just the way he reacts to usually to to Rick but to to kind of everyone like he does such a good job and it's kind of a bummer that he like. It would be weird if they somehow brought back Benny to be in the second movie, but it is kind of a bummer that he wasn't there. Because he did, he did offer a really good, I mean, not really a, not a full comic relief because there's comedy kind of throughout. Yeah. But he was kind of a good foil. He, he's pretty much everything that Rick wasn't. Like yeah. well, Rick's a big, yeah. tough, burly action hero and Benny's kind of the complete opposite. He's small sniveling and not even trustworthy in any way. But he's funny. Like every RPG character I've ever rolled up. Um, Except for Makoto was basically part of. But yeah, that's the other thing. Rick, like, like Brendan Fraser's a pretty fit guy, but I don't think of him as this big, huge guy. But he like they made him seem really he interacts with everyone like he's the freaking Hulk. He just kind of manhandles everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, they did a really good job of having his character have that energy, despite. I mean, like Treasure's tall. He's six three. He's the tallest actor there. Because even like um, yeah, even even Odette Fair and uh, Arnold Vosloo are six two. I want to say so. He's got an inch on him, but. They make him seem so just through just the sheer force of will and his the way he acts. Yeah. He seems like like you said, like he's yeah. the incredible Hulk. Like, he does he does inherit more imposing than he should be. It feels like he inherited the red brown spirit of screaming in this film. He, he screams a lot. Yeah. But focused and a little better. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you could do better than Reb as far as like throat pounding screaming. Brendan Fraser can. Um yeah. So so yeah, we get to, we get to the finale. There's like the resurrection. There's um, there are some fight scenes, and I remember uh, specifically. I by this point, Ardeth is fully traveling with them and yeah, fighting inside them at this point. If you trace this movie out as though it were an RPG campaign, you almost it's almost it feels like there was someone who like started off playing as one of the Americans. That character died. Uh, 
they, like, you know, then they're like, okay, well, you can play as one of the other guys. They go through the entire cast of Americans, and they're like, uh, this Magi guy who showed up earlier, he's he's back, you can play as him, and that's, like, who he finishes the game as. Um, Everything's cooler once Ardeth becomes But yeah, like, yeah, like, Ardeth is, like, yeah, he is, again, he doesn't show up for a lot of the film, but he's a stud for every moment he's on camera, because he's, like... He's so the he one who, like, cool. takes the shotgun and, like, goes full, like, dead rising into that horde of... Yeah, more dead rising, because he was in one of those. <laughs> he wasn't? Oh, yeah. Honestly, I liked him in that movie. I didn't like Originally him as... Under he's not Rivera. He's not Carlos Oliveira, but he was a good character. <laughs> he's not Carlos, but he is Oded Fair, and I will take that. Yeah. Um... Doesn't matter how you wrap him up. Give me Oded Fair, I'm happy. Uh, weird enough... Uh, I want to say the third Resident Evil movie was directed by Russell Mulcahy, who also directed the, like, second Scorpion King movie, which came out of this series. So we're all, we're all like, joint at the... <laughs> I get, I, give me a flowchart. Um, also, Russell Mulcahy was making his own Mummy movie around the same time that this came out, and boy, was that a trip. Was uh, that one of the ones that, uh, that I watched, or...? Uh, no, it was one I... I was telling you about it. It has Sean Pertwee in it. Mm. And, uh, I can't remember... He played the evil guy in Cyborg. The, um, I can't remember his name. Who are you talking about? The... He was, like, the, the, the guy that Kurt Russell had to fight at the end. I can't remember that actor's name. Who or so Soldier, not Cyborg. Oh, yeah. Also, Sean Pertwee was in that as well. Yeah, uh, but, uh, like, that yeah, guy... The, the bald dude. Yeah, it's uh Russell. It's I think it's Russell Mulcahy's Tale of the Mummy. It's an interesting movie, but it's not strictly speaking very good. Wasn't that the one where uh, spoiler alert for anyone who wants to watch that movie, the mummy yeah. wins in the end? Uh yeah, it was yeah it was an interesting yeah. But no, that's no, we're getting way off topic. Um, yeah, where were this, we? Even? This show is about movies you should watch. That one's not coming on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I saw I saw a Twitter post the other day. It was like. Gay people be like, no, you don't understand, I'm obsessed, proceeds to show you the worst movie you've ever seen. <laughs> and I'm like, how dare you straight up come for my entire brand as a human being. I literally um, do a podcast based on that, leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, so yeah, um, so yeah, the, there are some fight scenes where Rick is fighting this, like, because Imhotep raises, like, his, his priests... That, that served under him to, like, protect him while he's doing this ritual. And Rick has to fight his way through all of those with uh, with Jonathan and Ardeth. And uh, there's some scenes where he's, like, fighting them, like, fisticuffs. And I want to say those scenes Kicking, were not... Sword swinging. Yeah. Those scenes were not choreographed. They just kind of had Brandon Fraser go nuts against some imaginary mummies and then just CG'd everything in after the fact. Which, you get some really interesting... Like, there's a part where he, like, knocks one's head off, it catches its head and kind of juggles it, and he cocks back and, like, knocks the head. And I want to say that was one of those byproducts of, like, just... The fact you know, that he paused for a Yeah, second. he paused for... So they were like, why not? We'll throw this, this bit in. And, like, it's just that approach to it. Like, I feel like in the age of, like heavily planned out CG Marvel fight scenes. That's not something you would see. Because let me tell you, let me tell you what, that little scene right there, better than the final fight in Black Panther. That's all I'm saying. Oof. 
there, yeah, there, there were some good things. Black Panther was pretty good, but the the final fight kind of. You know, um, but yeah. For another time. If if that's what if what you were saying about that is true, where they're that it wasn't really fully choreographed, they just kind of had him go nuts and worked around. Like I want to say that was really impressive how well it worked. I want to say he described uh, because there's a there's a commentary track that's literally just Brendan Fraser talking about working on it. He had some he had some fun stuff. Well, uh, you. Again, tell you about how influential this movie was to me, because, like, as a kid, I watched all these commentary tracks, because there's one with Stephen Summers, the director. There's one with just Brendan Fraser being kind of a, a goof. And then there's one with, um... Uh... I think... Uh, Kevin J. O'Connor, who played Benny, Oded Fair, and, um... Who played Ardeth, and, uh... Arnold Vosloo, who played Imhotep. And, like, getting all those all those kind of takes on the, on the film was really interesting. Because you get factoids like that. But, uh... <clears throat> yeah, like... And then we get we get the... The, uh, the Sierra Madre Hotel ending. Where, uh... After they, uh... Do you want to talk about kind of the, the actual oh, twist? Or not really twist, yeah. but at the ending. How, I mean, uh, yeah, well, yeah, we kind of talked about how... Like half-resurrect on Cinnamon... Yeah, he like and then, yeah he has her half resurrected and they they find the book of the book of the live or the, the book of life the book of Amon Ra yeah the yeah the the, 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 the Yang book, book. Um, yeah. uh, and it has these spells that can be used to defeat Imhotep so they they bring it so in, like, and Jonathan can't read it so uh, Evelyn has to like yell instructions to him and like that's what we were talking about where it is. Read so like he can say the words you yeah. don't know what they mean so she's like which like yeah you get for him. which is a, another good character moment because you get Jonathan is Evelyn and Jonathan are both well educated but she was paying attention and he was like drawing that weird S symbol on his homework probably like and you get that vibe where they, they have the same base of knowledge but his is a little like fuzzier broken. Uh, so it's like She's relaying converse, like translation instructions to him while he's trying to read from the book to remove Emotep's yeah. power while Unksun Moon's mummy is attacking Evelyn and while yeah. Rick and Ardeth are fighting these priest mummies that have cool swords and shields. Yeah, they and have... hop around and spider climb on the walls yeah. for some reason. They have curved swords. <laughs> um, yeah, um... Yeah, but that yeah, but that's that's where we go back to like at the end it is like oh yeah for all these heroics it is Evelyn's knowledge that's kind of like the missing piece of like everything like that like everyone there was an important process to it it wasn't just at the very end it just comes out to slugging it out like slugging it out was important enough. To well, keep, also like to to make that gap of space for the smart people to do book stuff. Yeah. Well, also it's just even today. like even when she's taken captive, Evelyn is not a damsel in distress. Like she's actively contributing to her own rescue. Like she is in like distress. Even, yes, like even especially like when uh, when Winston dies, we kind of jumped back over that. Like Imhotep has them in this dust tornado, and they're like gonna die, and she like. Remembers when he tried to kiss her before, and so she like kisses him enough to distract, like like distract Imhotep from the spell and like give them a time time to get out. But it's not, 
like in terms of framing and everything it's not this like sensual thing and it's it's very clearly a moment of her understanding how things work and making this this like strategic decision and so like th throughout that like you get you get this this aspect of her be like yeah she's yeah. she's quick-witted she's smart and she's also not totally scared of everything yeah, well she's just like, she's benny's the only person in this movie who's ever scared of anything <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah, but yeah, they they're able to make uh they make Imhotep mortal, and this chariot like takes his soul away, which is like I don't know. that scene for some reason that scene of like the chariot coming down and yeah. his soul away is like really memorable to me, especially That's, when I was a kid. I thought that it was, was so cool. That was what I felt like when I when I first started hearing how uh, Rise of Skywalker turned out. <laughs> chariot comes steals Just, yeah. your soul away and then. <laughs> Brendan Fraser stabs you in the stomach. Yeah. Well, except in this case, it was more like... Ryan Johnson or whoever. J.J. Uh, Abrams, I guess, stabbing. J.J. Like, Abrams, yeah. Disney, modern Disney personified, also known yeah, as that's, Again, that's a, that's a whole other other discussion to have. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they defeat the him and they... Him. Yeah. He's dead. Yeah, and Benny has been... This whole time, he's been trying to make it out with, like, treasure from Imhotep, the, the, like, treasure room. And he's been, he, like, dragging bags out one at a time. Yeah. And he activates this self-destruct switch, which, like, why do they even have that? Yeah, um, it's just one of those many traps to protect uh, Emotep's uh, remains and the yeah. treasure. Like, but they, all yeah. over the place. But, so then they have to get out of there, and they, they lose Benny. And, like, you do get that moment where, where the, the, the door is, like, closing, and Rick, try, Rick does try to go back. That's yeah, that's he, a consistent. He, he tries yeah. to save Benny, even though Benny would not have done the same for him. Yeah. Which you get that even at the start. There's a dude who a random like extra who gets eaten by the scarabs, and you see Rick like he's turned around, ready to go back for the guy, but he like you he, he sees he can't do anything. So like, I like that they keep that consistent. Like he's he's always the guy who will turn around for someone else. Yeah, because at first, it, like, he doesn't seem like it. He seems, like, totally cavalier self-serving. Yeah, like, like, like an, another character. another uh, Rick from a 40s movie who stuck his neck out for no one comes to mind. But, yeah. It's a little, little, Rick Springfield? Well, yeah. A little Casablanca baseball. Rick Dalton? <laughs> Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton. Heavy. Um, Heavy. Uh, hey, oh, um, but yeah, so yeah, they, they, ma they make it out and it is, everything's kind of wrapped up with a nice little bow on the end. And there, uh, Jonathan makes this remark about like, ah, oh, here we go, we finished empty handed again. And, uh, Rick makes a little comment about, oh, I wouldn't say so. And him and Evelyn yeah. face and he's all like, oh, whatever. Then they get on the camels to ride away, and you realize these were the camels that Benny had been loading his treasure yeah. onto. So they're they're filthy so, freaking rich. Yeah. Well, also in the end, it's 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 Benny that secured their financial future. So how's Benny that for a, a karmic uh, bit? Benny got the bag, but not for himself. Yeah. You can chase the bag, but you can never catch it. In 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 ancient Egypt, bag chases you. Whenever the bag is a flesh-eating scarab that looks like a gold jewel. 
yeah. golden crusted jewel and you peel it off and it climbs into your skin. We totally just didn't even mention that guy. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. The scene with the camel, the camel chase inconsistency. Did you want to Oh, yeah. That? Uh, yeah, there's a scene where, uh, so, like, they establish that Benny's guys have all the horses, like, in that iconic one. was on the wrong side of the river. Yeah. And so there's this bit where they, uh, they, you see Rick and Jonathan are, are get, getting some camels, and then Evelyn comes out, and she, they gave her this, I don't know, some, some get-up where she's, like, all, all fancy, and Rick's like, oh, heck. Um, but, like, so they establish that, like, our, our protagonists are riding camels, and there's this part where they're, like, betting each other against the the americans like whoever makes it to hominopter first again like right outside yeah and so they have this race and like right before that there's this line where benny's like oh huh nice camel and so there's this race where they're like racing towards hominoptera and during the race all of a sudden benny is riding a camel when it was very explicitly established a minute ago that he was not on a camel and uh i can't remember um i need to find yeah, I can't that actor's name because he's a guy who shows up in a lot of stuff that yeah, played the I warden. Yeah, I never remember that dude's name. Like a lot of things, um, but uh, that, so yeah, he's the guy who had basically who had Rick in prison. Initially, is like he comes along on this venture because they promise him a portion of the the like proceeds that they make from it, and he's the first one to die. Um, to, he finds these scarab jewels, and, like, a scarab comes out and, like, eats him. And that's, like, I think that was when we got that reaction shot where Rick is like, oh, shoot. Um, but I noticed he was not, you never see him during this racing sequence. So, like, my headcanon is that there's some lost piece of footage where, like, Benny, like, action hijacked the camel from him. Uh, uh, is that actor's name. Okay, where's uh, what's his like background? Because he, was... he might be, he might be the 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 most accurately cast person in this movie. Um, well, I mean, technically, he's Possibly. British. Ah, uh, okay. But... You know, what? I think yes. I've seen. Yeah, I want to say he a lot was... of the stuff I've seen him in have been like those modern like crime and spy thriller type movies. He was also the slave trader in Gladiator. Oh yeah. Playing almost the same character. Yeah, 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 yeah Spaniard. Uh-huh. Also, Eric Avari. Uh oh yeah, who? Uh, he was the uh, the one who uh, found out that he actually was part of the Magi early, and that's why he tried to stop Evelyn and Jonathan from getting the map. Oh okay. Which not to sleep on Eric Avari because he, he's one of those guys who yet another Brendan yeah. Fraser movie that he was in. <laughs> um, he he shows up as like. He's a good, like, character actor, kind of supporting yeah. role. Um, that he guy, shows yeah. up in a lot of stuff, and he's he's good in all of it. He uh, yeah, the head librarian. Deeds as well. He, he was funny in all those. Yeah, he's, he's another, he's like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good character actors in this. I really liked him in this one because he wasn't just a comedic character. Like, he, he sacrificed himself so that the rest of them could escape against Emotep's mind-controlled masses. Like, he draws a sword and it's just like go save yourselves and just starts cutting yeah and dies fighting like he's a respectable yeah he dies the studs yeah because he's he's a magi and he like you know he he goes down like a magi yeah which it's it's sometimes easy to forget those supporting characters whenever you're recapping the movie yeah those are some of the bits that made the movie so good along the way 
there's a lot of really good characters, really good side characters. It's a very character driven movie for yeah. a action horror ish. Yeah, well, movie. I think I think very that's yeah. Well, I think that's the strength of this because like. If we're looking at it, comparing it to a lot of, like, action blockbuster movies that came out at the time, like, it's, in terms of story, it's fairly by the numbers. Like, the mummy aspect is cool, but, like, I think what really, the reason that, like, people still talk about this movie today is the characters and the performances. I think if I were to pick out the one thing that's really, like, worth watching this movie for... And like definitely, yeah, definitely a whole lot of fun. Yeah, it's and, not uh, yeah. really good, really good acting across the board. Yeah, because it yeah, it's 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 a really like acting driven movie, but not in the not in the way that like a like a Kenneth Branagh movie or something is. But like, it is very like if if any like we're talking about like if Leo were in this movie, if literally any one piece of the cast were different, it would change the entire energy of the film because it's so character driven and cast driven. any character get rid of any side character suddenly it's not the recipe's messed up it's no longer nearly as good like each person is so important to the uh not just like the narrative but the overall feel to it like it's the it's the energy that it has that yeah. kind of good balance between a little dark and scary but not like very much a lot of good action, but a lot of comedy that's not overblown. Like, the whole movie's it's a really good, really good uh, example of, like, one of those balancing acts. Yeah, they don't make them like that no more. a lot of different things, and it, it manages to keep them all in check the whole way through. Yeah. Very easily, like, if I was trying to make this movie, I would not have nearly, even if I had all the same everything available to me, like... There's a lot of instances where they've they've perfectly balanced a lot of these things that I know like I know I couldn't do that. <laughs> it's very impressive. Yeah. Just that they were able to story wise put so much work into it that you don't even realize that they've gone the extra mile every time they've had the opportunity to. Yeah. If any of that made sense. Yeah, no, I was I was following. I just like I I don't, I don't think we have any. I was trying to think of anything else to yeah, add. Like yeah, we've we've gone on a, for like an hour and ten minutes about this movie. And it's a good thing that Emotep has been taken care of because that'd be really bad if he came back. Yeah, that's I I mean. Do not want the mummy to return. <laughs> I mean, what would happen? Like, why would someone bring him back? What would be? Something so frightening that you would need Imhotep to fight it. Poor CGI Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> that is pretty terrifying. The Rock Lobster. <laughs> but we'll get into that next time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll 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 see you guys. Uh, see you guys next time. I'll be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll be uploading, uh, trying to do this fairly consistently, at least with the Mummy movies. So yeah, we'll see you next, next week with, uh, The Mummy Returns. See you then. Deuces. And we're totally doing that next week and not in, like, 30 minutes. Yeah, no, it'll, it'll, yeah, we'll have, like, a whole week. Yeah, we'll... so you, you already recorded 
the original Mummy review. Yeah, I definitely like, don't, still don't have to do that later. Just like we're not also just about to watch and review yeah, Mummy I just, Returns. We just, we just like wearing the same outfits several days in a row, you know, that's... that's... You know, I should, just, I should just change, like, change my shirt or yeah, something, was... like, wear a different necklace. You can yeah. throw on, like, a jacket or something, like, try and look different, like, let your hair down. Go, oh, this is a different day. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>